Would you pray with me? Loving and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Living with temptations. Baptism, this baptism that we just saw is such a special gift. It involves dying to sin, newness of life, union with Christ, incorporation into Christ's church, and receiving the Holy Spirit. In the United Methodist Church, we are baptized only once in our lifetime because we see baptism as a covenant between God and us and the person being baptized. Although we may sometimes fail to fulfill our part of the covenant, God does not. Therefore, rather than make, remaking that covenantal agreement over and over again, we make only one baptism, and we may periodically remember our baptismal covenant in a separate ceremony. So this service that we just had, this is the one and only time that we will witness Porter's baptism in the United Methodist Community of Faith. And it's an important moment in his life. and such a gift that we have here just to witness it. The passage that we're reflecting on this morning from the Gospel of Matthew takes place right after Jesus was baptized. Scripture tells us that as Jesus was coming up out of the water, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw God's Spirit descending like a dove and alighting on him. The presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit was so powerful in that moment that it was physically visible to those who were watching. And then a voice came from heaven saying, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Wow. What an amazing affirmation of identity and credibility. Yet immediately after this miraculous demonstration, Jesus is driven into the wilderness by the spirit, the same spirit to be tested by the devil. I've often wondered, was that really necessary? I mean, if Jesus had already been acknowledged by God through this supernatural event that he was God's son, why was he tested? What else did he need to prove? Of course, the scripture doesn't tell us exactly the answer to these questions, directly at least, so we have to speculate. One thing that we agree on in the Christian tradition is that Jesus was fully human as well as fully God. So perhaps the reason that Jesus experienced these tests was related to his human nature. The common experience of humanity is our struggle with temptation. Yes, discerning right from wrong can be tricky sometimes, but we often know what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to behave. And yet we often find it difficult to do the right thing or refrain from doing the wrong thing. Even when righteousness resonates in our hearts and we are aware of the proper course of action, we often find it difficult to curb our personal desires. I haven't met or even heard of an individual that hasn't had to struggle with temptation at some point in their life. Consider the Apostle Paul, for example one of the most prolific writers of the New Testament, 
Although he endured a great deal of suffering for the sake of, the, of speaking and spreading the gospel, he admitted that he was also challenged by temptations. In chapter 7 of his letter to the Romans, he, wrote, he writes, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And then a few verses later, he continues, the desire to do the good lies close at hand, but not the ability. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Of course, the Apostle Paul did many good things in his lifetime. But he acknowledges that there were times when he was unable to discipline himself to take the appropriate course of action at the right time, at every time. Now, as a fully human person, I think Jesus must have also had to struggle with temptation. But he was the one individual who was able to exercise full control over himself. Consider the scenarios presented in this morning's passage. After fasting for 40 days, of course, Jesus was hungry. More accurately, Scripture says he was famished. The devil approached him with what may seem to be a reasonable suggestion. You can easily alleviate your suffering by simply making bread from the rocks around you. Why not? I think this one's a little tricky for many of us today because we often feel entitled to use whatever means available to make ourselves more comfortable, even if it creates problems for others in another place or another time. Jesus saw the trap that the devil had laid out for him in this test because Jesus was always focused on serving God and others rather than himself. By using his power to satisfy himself and only himself, he would set a precedent of being self-serving. With an acknowledgement to his dedication to God, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, which says, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In the second test, the devil invites him to prove that he is the son of God by jumping off the top of the temple. If he is really God's son, the son of God, then the angels will watch over him and prevent anything bad from happening to him. Of course, we know that longevity was not Jesus's primary concern, since he did give himself up to be crucified after just a few short years of public ministry. It was his willingness to experience crucifixion and resurrection that created a path for, for all of us to find grace and salvation. I wonder if this temptation was really about faith, faith in himself and faith in God. Was the devil trying to create doubt in Jesus's mind about who he really was? and whether he could trust God, really? Jesus was able, of course, to recognize the devil's trap in this case as well, and he avoided it, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, the final temptation in this passage is easily recognized by us as something that we should not do, but only because the devil was so blatant in his request. The devil offered Jesus abundant wealth and prestige if he would only fall down and worship the devil. 
course, Jesus denies the request, and at this point, he pushes the devil away. He sends him away. Many think that this one's easy to see. It's a no-brainer. But how many of us actually fall into this trap ourselves? How many of us have had times in our lives when we devoted ourselves to wealth and prestige at all costs? When we're willing to deprioritize our friends, family, or faith so that we can have a better job or impress senior management or make more than enough money, we're worshiping the wrong thing. When we get distracted by our personal desires for status and comfort and fail to fully love God and those around us, then we have fallen into this third trap. This can be one of the hardest to recognize, I think, because we're often taught by society that success in life is measured by wealth and prestige. As the old saying goes, the one with the most toys at the end of the game wins. But when finally, when we come to the realization that we have been duped by the devil, it's usually quite clear. Jesus, as a fully human person, encountered all these temptations that didn't fall for them. I suspect that Jesus, just like each of us, experienced conflict within himself. Just like you and me, Jesus most likely had moments when he felt like doing something that he didn't want to do, that he shouldn't do, and he knew it. But he was able, able to avoid those destructive behaviors. How did he do it? Well, as the son of God, Jesus was probably attuned, I'm sure, to the mind of God. The infinite wisdom of the universe that sees all things and knows all things. By leaning into his divine nature, he would be able to see the right course of action right in front of him. But it was still, still apparently difficult at times. For example, on the night before his crucifixion on the Mount of Olives, Jesus struggled with the prospect of experiencing a brutal death on the cross. But he consciously chose to accept the way of the cross, despite the intense anxiety his body was going through. The Gospel of Luke tells us that in his anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down the ground. But he stayed and accepted the path laid out for him. His willingness to endure this crucifixion so that he could conquer death is what brings salvation to each of us. And it speaks of an amazing level of discipline. And I think it's through such discipline, mental, physical, and spiritual, that we discover how to live with our own temptations. I know the word discipline, or the D word, as some people call it, doesn't bring about pleasant thoughts for many of us. It often brings up an image of drudgery that we try to avoid. While I was in the Navy, though, in boot camp, I recall a, a definition of discipline that was plastered on a big banner in one of the drill halls, and that stuck me, struck me, and stayed with me. Paraphrased, it said something like, the true meaning of discipline is not punishment, but that development of self-control that allows people to strive for perfection and accomplish greatness. It's a matter of being aware of what we want and consciously choosing to grow in the ways that get us closer to where we really want to be, mentally, physically, 
and spiritual. By contrast, temptations, of course, are those things that may are desirable in some way, but they move us away from where we really want to be. They're like fires. They're fires inside of us that consume and destroy those things that are most precious to us ultimately. And through discipline, we can fight these fires and save ourselves from a lot of grief. Well, how do you fight a fire? By removing the fuel, the oxygen, or the heat. Another lesson I learned in boot camp. When we avoid the things that tempt us, we essentially remove the fuel. Whether it's drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, pornography, unhealthy food, or whatever is tempting you, get rid of it. Staying away from those things that lead you away from where you really want to be in life is what's most important in dealing with temptation. Secondly, take control of your environment. Staying away from those situations that lead us down destructive paths is like removing the oxygen from a fire. Whether it's certain places like bars or groups of people like old friends that weren't a very good influence in the past, or even places of entertainment like sports arenas where you may have partied a little bit too much in the past, just avoid them. Hopefully this will help minimize your exposure to other kinds of temptations. And then thirdly, cultivate an awareness of your emotional state and recognize when the passion inside of you is leading towards destruction. This, I think, is like removing the heat from the fire. Learning how to perceive when you're being drawn into a state of anxiety, anger, or even a passion that you recognize is unhelpful, stop and let it go. If there are movies, TV shows, or even news broadcasters that put you in an unhealthy place mentally, then stop watching them. Take time to cool off when emotions get too intense and avoid those things that you, will take you away from God. In this season of Lent, I invite you to consider today practicing specific disciplines that will help you blow, grow closer to Christ and strengthen your relationship with God. Consider taking on a physical exercise routine, diving into a subject that you've always wanted to learn, or practicing a spiritual discipline that nurtures your soul. By consciously working toward improving ourselves and our bond with Christ, we will be better equipped to cope with whatever temptations come our way. This journey of life is beautiful but it comes with traps and pitfalls that create challenges. If we follow the gospel and follow the example of Jesus, who exercised discipline and leaned unto the Holy Spirit for guidance, if we do the same, we will be able to successfully navigate the inevitable temptations that come our way.